Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. My name is Hitzir. I'm Isa. Uh, and for this episode, we'll be delving into our favorite, shall we say, series uh, of 2020. <laughs> yeah. um, shows, shall we say. Um, the reason I say series and not TV shows is because, you know, I guess with the advent of streaming and shows on um, obscure networks like Dropout, which we'll be talking about later, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, what is a web series, what is an anthology of films what is nobody can decide lah, but yeah but the thing is right like all the stuff we were talking about here are strung together as series lah, so we're talking about it as series <laughs> um or, or for my part i'll be talking about two shows that i, I didn't intend it this way yeah but they, they have they have coincidentally um are covering the afro-caribbean community in london mm-hmm. um it's unusual i didn't plan for it to be like that it just happened to be like that um the first show I'll be talking about is uh, Michaela Coel's uh, I May Destroy You, mm-hmm. uh, which is an um, almost autobiographical story about a young writer whose life is upturned by sexual assault. Uh, it is a story about um, sexual content, uh, uh, sorry, um, sexual assault and consent and dating in the age of social media, which mm-hmm. makes the lines very blurry. Yeah. Uh, and it's a mini series that's out on BBC One uh, and on HBO as well. Um, uh, on the flip side, I'll also be talking about um, Steve McQueen's anthology called Small Acts. Um, I'm not talking about the Steve McQueen of old, you know, <laughs> the, the old movies. I'm talking about the black Steve McQueen. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about because he is famous in his own right. He has directed and written um, such films like 12 Years a Slave, uh, Widows, you know, mm-hmm. um, big movies. So he's come back with um, what has been confusingly labeled as a TV show or an anthology of five films. BBC <laughs> has been... Has been um, <laughs> Advertising it as a as a TV show and presenting it as a TV show because you know it's a uh, one episode a week kind of thing traditional model. Yep. Whereas Amazon has has kind of dropped it as an an anthology of five films, um, basically because like each episode's runtime is between seventy minutes to two hours, so those are more consistent with feature films. But um, as some other people have pointed out, you know. Other episodes, say like Game of Thrones or Black Mirror, have consistently, you know, gone above ninety minutes. So who's to say what is an episode length and what is that is true? Film, right? That is true. Yeah. Uh, what about your side, Isa? What What are you going to be pimping this week? So basically, I'm going to be talking about uh, a YouTube channel. Um, well, I guess you could call it as uh, it, it is serialized in its own way. So we're going to be talking about Adam Savage's Tested. Uh, Adam Savage of Mythbusters fame, uh, also yeah. you know maker and kind of like a modern day Renaissance man. A uh, mm. whole slew of skills and talents and, and ideas. Uh, one of my heroes. Mm-hmm. So I'm, we're just going to be talking about, you know, kind of the things that Tested covers and how uh, I personally have spent a lot of time watching the stuff on Tested and how that's yeah. kind of helped me through, through, the, through the year, really, right? Just kind of mm. um, tapping into the maker slash creative, uh, working with your hands side of things um, mm. and, and all that energy. Yes. And the, on the other hand, uh, another thing that I've been recommending to Hits for a while is uh, we're going to be talking about Fantasy High. Well, not strictly um, Fantasy High, which is on Dimension 20. Uh, you can find some yep. of their stuff on YouTube. But it is a live D&D. Well, it's a recorded D&D session uh, mm-hmm. by the great folks at College Humor, right? So you yeah. can find all their stuff on Dropout TV. Dropout TV is a streaming service that's owned by College Humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So... Uh, 
we'll, we'll get more into that, but like I've spent a lot of time just kind of following these characters and, and their uh, Dungeons and Dragons lives. It's been uh, mm-hmm. such a good kind of like romp, right? Always been fascinated with um, Dungeons and Dragons and how it's played and how it's affected kind of people's lives, you know? And uh, it's so interesting to kind of see the confluence of that, of the game, right? Uh, meeting media as it is today, you know? Definitely. There have been a slew of Dungeons & Dragons, uh, I guess, gameplay yep. stuff out there, um, series that's available on, you know, um, podcast platforms, you know, uh, and, and Twitch and things like that. Uh, but Dimension 20 definitely one of the one of the best of the D&D gameplay genre, I guess. That's a new genre yeah, uh, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gameplay genre, which, uh, I mean, like, it definitely fits into what we do in genre equality all in all mm-hmm. but uh, i think it's a pretty it's not it's not something that you know mainstream viewers are, are going to be necessarily exposed to but yep. i will tell you from just kind of devouring everything that i've been doing in dimension 20 and even at critical role um that it's no less uh i mean the quality is there right like it's as compelling as it gets and that so many of it is done uh, on the fly and improvised at the same time makes it for some really, really entertaining TV. Well, if you can yes. call it TV. Uh, but yeah, so we'll be jumping into that as well. But first of all, uh, let's talk about I May Destroy You. Yeah, uh, we're going to begin with a British multi-hyphenate, uh, Michaela Coel, uh, who wrote, directed, created, and stars uh, in her return to television. It is a new 12-part, half-hour HBO series uh, that takes on kind of the weighty notions of sexual consent in the present day, uh, given how much the landscape of dating and relationships has changed uh, due to the advent of uh, social media, you know. Um, Titled I May Destroy You, uh, the series kind of alternates between uh, broad stories about her her and her sexually adventurous friends and and more individual and upsetting moments of persistent trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, There is uh, nothing tidy about how this tale unfolds, Mm -hmm. but there is nothing tidy about its themes. Um, The series doesn't offer any pet, compact answers to the big questions it raises, Uh, but it is challenging and not always easy to watch, but will surely spark many uh, thoughtful conversations on the subject matter it candidly explores in in a very non-judgmental way. Mm -hmm. um, At the center of the show, uh, is this uh, is uh, Arabella uh, played by Michaela Coel, uh, basically a loosely analyzed, um, a loosely a loose proxy of her uh, in real life, you know, yeah. uh, in this in this fictional version. Uh, she stars as a um, a best-selling author of a book about her millennial experiences mm-hmm. called uh, Chronicles of a Fed Up Millennial, <laughs> which is essentially a tweet. Uh, a series of tweets just kind of cobbled together. Um, now she's writing a more traditional second novel and struggling to create. Um, captivating characters and stories mm-hmm. that are not um, 280-word Twitter posts, I guess. <laughs> um, but she's young and hip uh, and with an array of friends who are, who are cool and she's the personification of, you know, the, the intense, hyper-conscious millennial out there, you know. Um, as the story opens, you know, she is um, unfortunately a date raped uh, in a club uh, mm-hmm. or in a bar or, or in a public bathroom store. She's not sure. Um, her memory of it is hazy. Uh, at first, she isn't even sure that she she is raped, or it was just like you know um, a, a, a hallucination when she, when she was high. Yeah. And the story kind of kind of unravels from there, like, of her trying to grapple with uh, the implications of uh, her boundaries being violated, uh, as well as crossing into stories with her friends. You know, where uh, each of them 
in in different ways and in, in in very blurry ways have their boundaries violated or violate other people's boundaries. So mm-hmm. it's it's essentially a story about consent, the gray area be uh that defines it. You know, yeah. um, the with Michaela Coel or Arabella situation is very clear cut, but not all situations are that clear cut. You know, and and it delves into that uh, while looking at you know kind of both sides of the equation mm-hmm. uh and and that's kind of what i i really loved about i may destroy uh Troy's 12 episodes you've uh only caught the first quarter of four episodes which is more than more than enough to give a, a review on well, what what do you think about it Isa? uh i i i do like the way that it goes about i mean there is it, it can get kind of messy right but then again humans are messy uh so it it has a very compelling um rhythm to the way that it's being told right uh and it does kind of like span there are a lot of kind of flashbacks and cut forwards a lot of like um things that they have to kind of cut to in order to give you a semblance of uh background about what's going on and how everything uh plays out right mm-hmm. so um arabella spent some time in italy on her on her uh, agents of dime you know yep. uh, with her best friend terry who is also a big part of the show you know, yeah. and we kind of like jump into that. I, I think like just before um, I ended off the last episode or uh, the or episode, last episode I watched episode four, you know, we mm-hmm. were just kind of like diving into that and, you know, being um, being kind of like a visitor to a different country and, and what is considered, you know, normal kind of like social or sexual behavior there is, is um, understood and challenged and, and so on and so forth. All in all, mm-hmm. I mean, like I like the way it's shot. It's some pretty dope mm-hmm. music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've kind of gotten to the meat of the story yet. Like it feels like it's still building up to that. I'm guessing it's um, probably in the second third or the, uh, the the second act or the third act. Yep, definitely. Yeah. So you know, um, at this point in time where I'm at the story, I am intrigued by the the way in which uh, Arabella is trying to navigate her trauma, which at this point is still unnamed. Uh, mm-hmm. and undefined, right? But the trauma is evident, you know, um, even as she's she... in the denial stage. La. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even like for her, just being understood, as a writer, the way that she speaks about her trauma is very telling. I mm. think like the way that she wants to define it um, as, as whether it's fact or whether it's, it's something of her imagination, like she works through that um, via the things that she says and the way that she tells that particular um, story, you know, and her, mm-hmm. the friends whom, whom she tells it to. Um, yeah. It's an interesting, if somewhat loose, uh, study of, like, how language forms our ideas. Mm. Um, or and how it shapes, kind of, like, our perception on our trauma and how it ultimately affects us. You know, I yeah, was um, mm-hmm, yeah. Also, the, the stories you tell yourself, like, her being a writer, right? Yeah, exactly, you know. Um, yeah. And it's... Interesting to see because at this point in time, when the story begins, she's struggling to write her second book, right? And that writer's block doesn't only is not only restricted to the book itself, right? Like mm-hmm. it's coinc- uh, as it coincides with with um, her trauma or what happened to her specifically. Yeah, uh, it also dovetails into her inability to tell her her own story to herself mm-hmm. and to the people mm-hmm. around her and. Uh, for the last four episodes, I mean, this first five or four episodes that I've watched, she's struggling to kind of do that. And it feels familiar, right? Uh, to mm. anybody who has tried to write anything, like how do you kind of capture human emotions into language 
uh, you know, and especially something that is as difficult and as painful and sometimes as as messy as you know a uh, a trauma like uh, what Arabella has been through. Definitely, you know, um, the the simple tagline premise, you know, a, a young writer is a victim of rape is is maybe not what you expect to be at the center of a uh, of of a comedy, even a, yep. even a dark comedy, you know. But I mean, it's really um, its strength kind of lies in how. Uh, unflinching it is in uh, staring directly at Arabella's trauma and trying to process it while yeah. allowing just enough humor around the edges to keep it from being, you know, too pitch black, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a show that is um, ignited by sexual assault, but r- rather than rape, it's, it's more of a show about survival uh, and all the ways we find to withstand even the most uh, mundane violations of our consent. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, you know... Um, Every episode, like as I mentioned, kind of features uh, someone's consent being violated. Like for example, um, uh, a gray area is is in in I think you might have seen the the, the sojourn to Italy, mm. where where Terry has a, a what she assumes to be a, a threesome yeah. uh, with two with two strangers. Um, it is obvious by the end of the episode that two strangers are not strangers. Uh, yeah. and, and it's kind of an act that they play. You know, so you know it's that a violation of a consent because she didn't. Uh, know what what was up. Um, in, in an upcoming episode which you haven't seen yet, um, m- minor spoiler alert. Um, one of their friends is is a gay black man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he he has um, basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to play the field and trying to see what it's like to be straight or yeah. to be bisexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he has sex with uh, a, a straight woman. Uh, you know, just just as an experiment, like, you know, what's it like to be straight. Um, the woman feels very violated by by this because she didn't know that he was gay, um, and and she never consented to having sex with someone who's gay. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's a bit of a gray area also. You know what is sexuality? What is consent in in that form? You know, are you required to tell someone that uh, of your sexual orientation and things like that? It's it's very interesting also, uh, and and it kind of delves into Arabella is a social media star. If you didn't know, yeah, uh, she she has a huge online presence. The show. Intriguingly, also tackles later on about how Arabella first becomes a champion, you know, for for sexual assault survivors, uh-huh. uh, be, being an ambassador or a spokeswoman or or supportive of causes such as that. Uh, but later on, it kind of dovetails a little bit into um, her exploiting her own trauma for gain, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that uh, it's very brave of her to do because um, that could be something that uh, that uh, an accusation that is that is leveled at the show's creator Michaela Coel, you know, yep. who, who might be said to be exploiting her own trauma to make the show, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm glad that it's addressed in show, you know, yep. uh, in canon, uh, and it's all very interesting and very deep and very layered and very messy. Um, how Arabella reacts to certain things. You know, you you feel for her, at, but at the same time, also you know, as as she is trying to process and struggle and deal, she also is kind of ignoring the needs of her friends, mm-hmm. uh, uh, ignoring ignoring the emotional ones, uh, uh, unaware that some of their friends, some of her friends, are going through the same things that she is. Yeah. You know, but she's too kind of caught up in her own uh ocean of rage and sorrow. Uh, that she she doesn't spare anyone a moment's notice and becomes very difficult to deal with, like even the people who are most supportive to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, how do you feel? Yeah, so I mean, like now that you've kind of finished it, how do you feel like the entire thing pans out as a story, right? Being told from from uh, with one degree of separation from Arabella. Mm, um, it's 
it's really good because uh, not not all the episodes are Arabella centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, some episodes are Terry centric. Some episodes, you know, uh, it, it goes around the entire ensemble. Uh, yeah. Um, some episodes even flash back to her secondary school life. Oh. Okay. Uh, which, which is interesting because um, her current uh, she 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 attends a, a sexual a sexual assault support group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the leader of the of the group or, or the head of the group uh, was a secondary school friend, uh, which is interesting because it flashes back to why she was cautious about becoming coming to this group because the secondary school friend actually um, accused uh, a, a black boy of rape. Uh, she's white, uh, yeah. accused a black boy of rape in secondary school, uh, which never happened. Uh, she made she made it up, uh, and 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 uh, Arabella and her black friends were um, kind of. Key to uh, to exposing the that deception, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's very interesting on the on that flip side as well. Uh, um, very cool. Um, and, and it 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 kind of all wraps up with Arabella's uh, uh attempt to tell her story in, yeah. in the form of a second novel, mm-hmm. and how difficult uh, how difficult it is. You know, um, the finale, uh, in my opinion, one of the most perfect finales of of this season, uh, which makes it one of the more perfect shows of this season. This is this is my number one show of the year. If to, to give a spoiler for my eventual you know, top 50 <laughs> shows or article. Yeah. But this is my number one show of the year, primarily because of its finale, where um, Arabella is uh, writing her book uh, and it dramatizes her uh, writing three different endings for the book yeah. uh, and three different endings for the show, consequently. Uh, one ending offers revenge, one ending offers catharsis, and one ending offers her to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's up to you to decide you know, what is the better ending. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I uh, to be honest, I did take a peek at what the last episode would be like. Mm-hmm. Um, just I just wanted to have an idea, right, of like the entire drift. But I'm definitely gonna go finish off everything else. Um, once we're done with this, for sure. Yeah. So, in your opinion, uh, in your personal opinion, which of the yeah. three endings worked the best for the series? Uh, not to give a spoiler, the but the end of the show sort of disregards all three endings. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The end of the show disregards all three endings by saying that she needs to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she needs to accept what has happened and not hope for justice or revenge. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the real ending. So, uh, in essence, you know, I know I said it offers three endings, but there are actually four endings in the show. Right. Okay. So, at the end of her exploring the three endings, the, the series itself wraps up on, on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you delve into the first ending at first and you think that's the real ending and then it, it cuts back to her writing and then you go, get to the second ending and the third ending is a bit more abstract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fourth ending is her throwing away all three endings. Mm, fascinating. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm excited um, to finish this up for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, minus spoilers for all of you, but, but it, it actually, you know, it the impact I'm describing cannot be observed unless you actually see it play out. So I, I can give you the broad strokes of what happens at the end, but it really isn't as powerful as you yourself watching it. So it's not much of a spoiler, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it of course you won't understand the emotional resonance without context. And I may destroy it in on all. What's great about it is in all the small details, like, You know, it's it's moving. And 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 despite the subject matter, it's at times very very funny. You know, it should inspire uh, plenty of of conversation about very sensitive subject matters. Yeah. Uh, with with uh, increasing complexity. Um, and and it marks a bold new territory for Michaela Coel, who is 
operating at an unmatched level here as a writer, creator, a and a star, you know. Um, I don't think the show would work as well mm -hmm. without her her expressiveness and the sense of authenticity that she brings to the role. Did she direct as well? Uh, she directed about three to four episodes of it, uh, more towards the end of it. Okay, okay. Uh, she wrote or co-wrote every episode, uh, and obviously she stars in every episode too. Damn, that's hmm, triple bill right there. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, it's it's key to not strike a false note with a show uh, this sensitive. Mm -hmm, so I agree. Uh, yeah, so it, it's probably important that Michaela Coyle be be the one because you know she has experienced this and she knows uh, she knows what is false and what it's not and how to properly navigate uh, a narrative such as this uh, without it being exploitative. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. Yeah, uh, fascinating dark TV. You know, uh, any any final thoughts before we move on? Uh, yeah, again, I think I said this for the fourth time now, but I'm really yeah. looking forward to finishing um, um, I May Destroy You. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I do have, I have a growing appreciation for um, TV that does not shy away from difficult content, uh, subject mm -hmm. matters, you know. And I think we've explored a fair number of those, um, especially this yes. year, you know. Yeah. Um, and to be able to tell it in a way that feels entirely human, I mean, like, it's not the best kind of pacing is not necessarily the best kind of, you know, um, structure or rhythm um, going forward. But I mean, like, sometimes that's the way it is, right? And um, to have, to feel like that kind of echoes real human experiences um, really does make this a very compelling watch, even though I'm only a third of the way through. Um, I'm, yeah, I, it's really, really good. I can see why, I, already I can see why this would be your number one show of the year. Mm. And I I want to see you know um, if it ranks up with uh, uh, with the best that I've seen this year as well. Yeah, um, I mean it is it is almost uh, similar to my last year's number one show. Well, <laughs> there were two number ones, but one of them was Fleabag. Yeah. Um, and and interestingly, to to kind of touch upon your points about shows like this, mm -hmm. don't you think it's weird that you know the shows that are kind of delving into very difficult subject matter with humanity and complexity and the messiness of of, of it all are uh, half hour dramedies uh it is okay so i was thinking about this right how it what is it about the half hour dramedies exactly uh, is it the time that you're allowed to tell the story in it's like 30 minutes an effective amount of time for you to get into the ins and outs of an episode you know mm. uh because not every 30, 30 minute dramedy that we've watched necessarily covers an entire arc per se in one mm. or even like a one story in one right like it's I, I mean there are a variety of reasons why these things could be played out this way you know like much like yeah. much like anime right we've, they've got 20 minutes you know mm. they can wrap up a, a filler a filler episode in 20 minutes or it could have one basketball match over like 10 episodes right yeah Um. so I don't know what it is exactly, but it yeah, does but... give enough time, I think, um, to get to the point of that particular mm -hmm. episode. And then you have a series of making those points, you know, across however long the, the season is. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to... Okay, so for example, we're, we're going to be talking about... Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Small Axe, right? And that's mm -hmm. like... Two, the two that I watched were two hours long each, or if not more, you know, mm -hmm. and that did feel over long. I think I would have preferred it if it was structured a bit differently. Again, nobody really knows what to bill it as. Mm -hmm. um, but personally, like, there's something very apt about the timing around 30 minutes of, of uh, to tell a story. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, and I, I guess part of it also, the, the creators of these half-hour dramedies yeah. take a lot of themselves into it, you know, from, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, Aziz Ansari's Master of None and, yeah. and Donald Glover's Atlanta and Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's kind of the, the mode for, for these style of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very interesting. And also the, the use of humor, I guess, sort of... Um, allows it to be more palatable when it's talking about the more difficult things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but I mean, like overall, yeah, Co- Michaela Coel's uh, depiction of her personal torment here is a transfixing screen presence uh, and, and her, her visual, you know, kind of the, the series is freewheel, freewheeling kinetic <laughs> visual style yeah. makes it impossible to look away as long, uh, alongside a great soundtrack, you know. Not an easily classifiable series, no. but um, uh, hard to pin down, but uh, in the end, it is an enjoyable watch uh, and one of my favorites of yeah, the year. Yeah, to be clear, uh, it's, not, it's not a comfortable watch, right? Uh, yeah. But definitely compelling. Definitely. Uh, and similarly, another one of my favorite shows of the year, if you can call it a show, uh, <laughs> is a five-part anthology uh, called Small Acts, written and directed by a filmmaker, Steve McQueen. Um, Steve McQueen and Amazon Prime are billing it as an anthology of five different films. Uh, BBC, its primary home network, is billing it as a TV show. Uh, but whatever the case, it is a series. Lah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, ser- it's a series of, of five different films. Uh, and, and what this is, like Small X, is, is kind of a quote taken by Bob Marley. Lah. Um, yeah. if, you are, if you are a big tree, we are the Small X. And it covers the triumphs and struggles of uh, London's they they call themselves the West Indian community, you mm-hmm. know, because they come from the West Indies. Yeah. Uh, but West Indian, from like our point of view, you know, we kind of think of West of India. So yeah. like I I will refer to them as as the Afro Caribbean community, like mm-hmm. you know, coming from um the Caribbean islands, you know. Yeah. So um. Of course, London has, has a huge Afro-Caribbean community. Uh, and Steve McQueen has taken several real-life stories. Uh, some of these stories are based in real life and in fact. And some are more partly inspired by real-life events. Uh, but they're all about uh, the different aspects, you know, whether it's the joys, whether it's the struggles, whether it's the racism, the parties, the music uh, of uh, London's Afro-Caribbean community. Uh, and mm-hmm. each episode tackles uh, a different aspect of it, you know. Um, having seen the, the first two, uh, what, what do you think about um, Steve McQueen's approach to Small X? I've really enjoyed um, Mangrove and Lovers Rock, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. in particular, Mangrove for me, uh, well, um, for, for those not familiar, uh, maybe uh, give a, a small breakdown of what Mangrove and uh, Lover's Rock is. Okay, so Lover's Rock, um, Lover's Rock is Lover's Rock is Lover's a story Rock. about a house party, right? So where people kind of go to to uh, listen to kind of blues music and all of that, and it's essentially a haven um, for for people who have been uh, for black people who have been denied access into nightclubs. Mm. Right. Uh, Lovers Rock is, I guess you can call it kind of a slice of life, right? Because nothing really happens per se, you yeah. know. Uh, but it covers like the whole host of things that could happen at at a, a party like this, right? So people get together. There's alcohol. There's dancing. You know. There's 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 love. There's chaos. Uh, mm. you know. There's mess. Uh, and all of those things kind of happening simultaneously at the same time in 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 uh this place. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that 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 is episode two for you who don't know. Lovers Rock is basically just an immersion, yeah. a very freewheeling immersion into um a reggae house party, an all night reggae house party. It's yep. boozy, magical, joyous, 
occasionally chaotic, occasionally frenzied. Uh, and uh, the first episode is called Mangrove, uh, and we'll, we'll be talking more about the first two episodes here, like, because uh, Isa hasn't seen the last three, which yeah. are all equally good. You know, uh, Mangrove uh, recounts the true story of uh, Frank Critchlow, uh, mm-hmm. who is played by Sean Parks here, who was the proprietor of uh, Notting Hill's Mangrove Restaurant, mm-hmm. which was targeted targeted by racist police in London. Uh, under the authorities, I guess, constant pressure, of the of a Caribbean restaurant, uh, who are not doing anything wrong, by the way, they're just you know serving Caribbean food. Yeah, and and it's kind of a meeting place for black intellectuals or black activists to meet there. Uh, and because of the constant harassment, a resistance movement is born. You know, and and Mangrove kind of becomes a hub for activism, which on the flip side makes it even more of a target for the police. Yeah. Uh, and and the second half of the film transforms from you know an immersion into the community around this Caribbean restaurant into a legal drama mm-hmm. as, as Frank Critchlow and his associates uh, take on the corrupt police after they were arrested during a protest. Yeah. Um, basically, they were protesting the police's harassment. They were beaten up and then they were charged with instigating inst- instigation to riot, yep. which is, is uh, it's kind of a very similar premise to the trial of the Chicago 7, mm-hmm. uh, which is on Netflix right now by, by Aaron Sorkin. But this is, I guess you could say, the trial of the Mangrove 9. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, that, that was our uh, little synopsis. Uh, <laughs> go, go ahead with what you were saying. Uh, yeah, so um, I really, really enjoyed uh, Mangrove, for sure. Right? Like, Lover's Rock was great, but you know, the, just how, again, like, as you said, how freewheeling it was, it's a very different kind of movie, I, I think, than you're expecting. And given that I watched Mangrove first, with mm. kind of like very, very strong narrative structure, um, mm. you know, especially when we go into the second half and the whole legal drama that goes along with that, um, yep. it's so reminiscent of so many great kind of like uh, legal films. Uh, courtroom and, dramas. Courtroom yeah. dramas, yeah. And especially since we just kind of revisited 12 Angry Men, you know, yeah. I, I really dig. I really dig that and the way that they go, they went about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, Lovers Rock, on the other hand, was just a bit of a shock. I I think mm-hmm. like going into that because I wasn't really sure where we were going. You know, mm-hmm. we kind of bounced from from click to click and from person to person and just like changing different points of view within the party itself and and what's actually happening. You know. Mm-hmm. Um and it is refreshing to see that for sure. Um, all five, all five films have a very different tonal style ah. to give to give a little uh to show that the Afro Caribbean community is not a monolith like it's yep. not always police discrimination, it's yep. not always reggae house parties. There, there are different sides to it like, and different sides to the experiences that they have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, like watching Lovers Rock felt like I was at a party, you know, which it's been a while, right? Yeah, all yeah. Of us. It, 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 it's it's good COVID watch actually. Yeah, and and it it was extremely cathartic to be a part of that as an audience. Uh, I I think like Steve McQueen did a great job with just capturing that feeling. Um, you know, and uh, I I it was I obviously it was shot that way um purposefully right, but like I'm not sure how how it's gonna how whether or not the intention to speak to people who haven't been able to mingle in a setting like that um mm-hmm. was intentional you know yeah yeah i mean obviously this was filmed way before covid so yeah you know uh yeah so yeah i mean like both very different um stories i think um but both extremely enjoyable i'm looking forward to watching um the other the three yeah, so yeah. Uh, what we had, I, um, the third one is out already, right? 
Or yes, all, correct. All, all of them out. Uh, no, the third one it just released this week. Uh, yeah. It is called Red, White, and Blue, uh, and it returns back to the realm of a nonfiction or a biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about uh, a metropolitan police officer named Leroy Logan, who is yeah. uh, wonderfully played by John Boyega. Fantastic performance. Mm. It's, it's one of those performances that makes you wonder, you know, how Star Wars wasted him, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and Red, White, and Blue is about Logan, who is a, a research scientist who mm-hmm. decides who inspired his, he, his father is actually um, beaten up by the police for enduring a routine search, uh, search and stop. Yeah. But rather than becoming anti-police, Logan is galvanized to join the police force in an attempt to change it from the inside, give the police force a different perspective. Maybe, you know, uh, having a black man uh, in the police force would, would lessen this type of uh, racial discrimination. Mm-hmm. So he's, he wants to change the beast from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can probably tell, it doesn't end well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, um, change is a slow-moving wheel, and and Logan finds that out firsthand because him joining the police force, um, uh, estranges himself from his parents, estranges himself from his community. His friends no longer talk to him. The people within the police force themselves regard him as an outsider and and refuse to, um, you know, take him as one of their own. Uh, it's it's a very difficult thing for Logan to navigate, despite his very uh, noble intentions. Mm-hmm. Very good, you know, mm-hmm. um, and. The next episode called Alex Vito, uh, episode four, um, is is it's, it's I I haven't seen it, you know, yeah. but it, it it's about it's it's a it's a real life tale also like, again nonfiction. You know? Um, Alex Vito was a person who spent his childhood in a predominantly white institutional care home with no love or family. Uh, but we see him finally gain a sense of community uh, for the first time in Brixton. Yeah. Uh, where he develops a, a passion for music and DJing. Uh, so things take a turn later on uh, when the infamous uh, Brixton riots of 1981 uh, sees Weetle, uh imprisoned, mm-hmm. uh, leading him on a difficult journey to confront his past. That is uh, episode four. Episode five is called Education, mm-hmm. which follows a 12-year-old boy named Kingsley uh, who has a budding passion for astronauts and rockets, uh, but he is dubbed uh, disruptive by his teachers. So he's moved to a school for students with special education needs, you know, yeah. uh, students with... Uh, with developmental uh, difficulties, you know, he is not developmentally difficult. You know, he is he he is just a normal young boy who's curious, but he is not the he is not the complacent, lazy black boy that everyone wants him to be, like, Or mm-hmm. as is or is the stereotype, you know. So so Kingsley's parents uh, work two jobs and are unaware that the move uh, symbolizes a type of educational segregation yeah. uh, until a group of uh, Caribbean women decide to do something about it. So they're mm. all very different, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, Mangrove, the first episode, uh, a tour the force courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so many impassioned uh, moments uh, from the from the protests to the ensuing riots to the actual courtroom drama itself, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, upon watching The Trial of the Chicago 7, I was almost a bit taken aback to see a fair judge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I mean, yeah. yeah. A a lot fairer than in the trial. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Of course, it was funny. Um, We do have uh, Letitia Wright um, Mm. playing a role as a Black Panther. (laughs) Yeah. As a British Black Panther. Yeah. uh, Yeah. When I saw her there and she started talking about Black Panthers, I was like, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. We all know where this is going. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting, you know. Uh, my my favorite of the bunch though it still remains uh, Lovers Rock, which is mm. uh just such a great um 
snapshot into a into a 1980s reggae party that yep. is just loaded with a soundtrack from you know um, reggae hits <laughs> of of old. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, of a paean or, or a homage to an energized youth culture yeah. taking control of its surroundings despite the social unrest around them. Blah. You know, kind of experiences it in its own terms. It is a delightful snapshot mm-hmm. of. Uh, of boozy dance floor seduction yeah. that plays like you know an an artist unleashing years of repressed good vibes uh and applying a lyrical style to pure unbridled bliss for the uh, or the entirety of its 68 minutes uh with the exceptions of you know certain moments of chaos mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um it, it's great because i feel that you know i i i, I used to cover music and I, I used to go to a lot of Parties like, and I have a lot of respect for you know the different traditions you know yeah. from, like German techno and, and 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 different types of things you know but Lovers Rock to me feels like the most authentic this depiction of a party that I've ever seen on screen mm-hmm. at least from my experience you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. the 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 dance for singalongs the romantic hookups the the one guy who kills the vibe because he <laughs> can't leave his personal issues at home. Uh, the toilet queue. Uh, there's always that one asshole looking to take advantage of girls. The 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 primal escalation of the on the dance floor during peak yeah. time. Um, the aggressive request for request for a rewind in the <laughs> DJ booth. You know, uh, getting your beer stolen. Uh, getting your getting pissed at your friend for ditching you because they met someone else. Yeah. You know, uh, catching the first bus home. It is. It, it was so relatable to me because I grew up in the tradition of um, the I guess the successor genres, um, yeah. jungle, drum and bass, grime, dubstep, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously those those genres were were rooted in reggae and dub parties such as this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and I found the it felt I felt like the roots of the party tradition that I feel most at home with. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. man. I mean, there there are a couple of dance floor scenes here that are just so rivetingly filmed, uh, in 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 non narrative ways. Yeah. Know, there, there is no there is no story to a couple of very long scenes here. I mean, first of all is the the sing along to silly games, uh, <laughs> which which is so um uh, enthralling, mm-hmm. uh, and then the second part is the is the the peak time uh freak out to to Kunta Kinte dub, mm-hmm. you know, uh, alongside with like you know I have been part of like one of those like very aggressive uh, people in front of the booth like just like demanding a rewind you know and, and watching that was just so beautiful yeah uh, you know and the, the rewind uh, sparks and even you know more joyous frenzied uh, dance floor breakdown it's it's amazing like it's it's you, you are, these are the moments of joy I guess that you see in the black British community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that white people don't know about or don't see yeah 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 I, yeah, I really yeah it really did elicit you know I do miss kind of being at parties like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, shout out to Good Times. I just reminded me of Good Times. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's this are really great stories about community, uh, specific, one specific community and about how, you know, all the small pockets of sub-communities in there, uh, how they function, what yeah. the ecosystem is like, you know, uh, and how they support one another. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, these communities, they're built through, through food, through organizing parties, yeah. through protest they're, they're sustained with music and dance and culture uh and and small acts you know like as i mentioned like, it takes this line from uh, a famous bob marley quote you know uh and and what steve mcqueen is trying to say is that um people push back against the institutional forces that keep them oppressed uh-huh. some sometimes through protests and sometimes through parties and sometimes in um, in many other ways yeah uh, 
and and through these series of stories, we see the acts, the small acts, do do its work. You know? mm, yeah, I mean, I'm constantly reminded as I'm watching this uh, at um at, at Malachi Kirby, who who plays Darkus Howe in in Mangrove, and his impassioned speech at the end of it, right, where he talks about yeah. you know um communities will create the institutions that they need, and those institutions will continue to serve their needs, uh, mm. and like it really is. I think it's the core of what the idea behind Small Axis is about, right? And mm-hmm. the story surrounding um, these communities creating these institutions for themselves. Um, and it is, I mean, like on top of like how culturally important and significant these stories are to uh, to the Afro-Caribbean community, you know, like mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a joy to watch just because of like some great performances, some fantastic cinematography, uh, and for mm. Lovers Rock in particular, the music is just dope, right? It's just so dope. Um, Definitely, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to the next three um, movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to how, see how totally different they can be. You know, um, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like episode three, which we haven't seen, Red, White, and Blue, is basically John Boyega's journey and and the police force. Though it's mm, mm. very interesting and and and. Uh, opens up a whole different set of uh, issues within the Black British community uh, that are not explored in the first two mm-hmm. uh, episodes. Uh, um, fantastic stuff, man! Really loved it. But let's uh, let's move on to to your side of the corner where uh, you've picked uh, exclusively uh, online uh, serialized things. Yep. Uh, which is very cool. Uh, I mean, who's to say you know stuff on YouTube or Dropout TV is any less valid of a TV show than something that is on Netflix or Hulu? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you know. uh, I mean, like we did have this discussion, right? Like as I was, I, I was deciding what to do, um, yep. in in looking at um, the things that we have watched this year. You know, other than the stuff that we cover for genre, other than the stuff that we cover for behold, you know, what have I spent most of my time watching? Sure, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of Netflix there and a whole lot of anime, but outside mm-hmm. of that, um, what have I been um, watching? What have I been spending my time doing? Uh, and mm-hmm. essentially, it's been, I, I think I've spent the most time watching maker videos, of which Ad- Adam Savage just tested, is a big yeah. part of that. And I've been watching people play D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so which why, it's why I thought it would be best, um, since we are doing recommendations, you know, to kind of like recommend a YouTube channel that I've, I've basically watched all their videos since quarantine started, more or less. Right? And then I just kind of revisiting um, the idea that... Uh, gameplay TV is now a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a growing thing. And uh, it's a thing I think a lot of people are going to enjoy even though they don't know about it yet. Yep. Yeah. So, um, let's jump into, let's jump into Tested for a bit. So, um, Definitely. Uh, Hosted by uh, Mythbusters legend Adam Savage. mm, Yeah. So, I mean, for those of you that don't know, Adam Savage is a special effects designer and fabricator by trade. Uh, he's also an actor, an educator, um, television personality. Uh, but by and large, what he's known for being is a creator, right? As a, as a maker, to be specific, you know. Mm. Um, and he has, you know, done everything from Mistbusters and uh, later on Savage Bills, which he holds on his own. Um, yep. And he's also worked on uh, with ILM to do some of the Star Wars movies. Um, yeah. So the man has a huge, huge list of accolades just going about uh but I think for me, the biggest draw, I've been watching the channel for a while now, you know, just being a big fan and the way that he does things and being interested in maker culture in general. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's very little there. Uh, just him being able to come up with an idea and to have the knowledge and the tools available for him to kind of problem solve and get to the end point. To him being at Comic Con and cosplaying as Chewbacca or whatever the new <laughs> costume is, right? Like it's nerdy to to a fault, you know. And that really yep. that really really appealed to me. But I think the main reason for my recommendation for for Adam Savage just tested. Uh, was when we went into lockdown earlier this year in March, right? So Tested is, is it's not just uh, Adam Savage. Of course, there's a bunch of people like Norm and all that who support him in different ways and they host kind of different parts of the, the um, website as well as for the YouTube channel. Um, but because everybody went into lockdown <clears throat> where they were in in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, uh, a lot of the videos had to change the way in which they either uh, interacted with people or just the format in which they were filmed. And uh, I think Adam Savage found himself in a place where like, he didn't have the support of a camera crew to tell the yeah. stories that he wanted to tell. So yeah. the, the, in particular, I think the one-day builds, um, which basically mm. he has an idea or a problem that he's trying to solve and he has a day, uh, a, me- it, a yeah. metaphorical day, right? Because mm. ha- it doesn't always happen 24 hours. Mm. Um, those took on a very different tone. And I think they became extremely relatable because he's not just talking about the thing at hand that he's trying to do, right? And of course, accompanied by all the B-roll and, you know, the sounds from the shop and all of that. Uh, it becomes an extremely personal look at a man who's trying to cope with the fact mm. that uh, he doesn't have access to the greater community uh, in person anymore, right? And he's in his, in his workshop, which has become his safe space, uh, mm. or as he calls it, his cave. Um, to just kind of like figure out uh, where he is right now at this point in time in his life and in the world in general as as we go through this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, as he works with his hands, he works through all of that at the same time, you know. And it has been deeply kind of inspirational to follow that journey um, of a, a extremely creative and talented man who turns to his strengths and faces his weaknesses as a maker um, mm. to grow in a time where people feel stagnant. Yeah. Right. And and that has been the the main kind of like uh, compulsion for me to continue watching uh, what Adam Savage is doing over at Tested. Uh, because so many of those things before the pandemic has appealed to me, but like it has been, I've been using it as a way to cope, right? <clears throat> Uh, with with you know just the general feeling of not being able to create as freely as I had once wanted to um, mm. during the pandemic with with all the kind of like emotional upheaval that goes with there and the boredom and all of that mm. that comes with that um, so yeah so if you are <clears throat> excuse me if you are interested in how things are made and uh, the wide realm of possibilities that you could take a, a piece of wood or a piece of metal or, you know, um, model kits and, and, and cosplay and all of that. If you have any kind of, like, interest in that, I highly recommend you check out Adam Savage's Tested. It's a YouTube yeah. channel. Um, they've got a huge following of people who are like-minded and always, um, they're just constantly keyed on helping each other out and offering information and, and the best way to do things. I don't have you know, any of those skills. I don't have a workshop, I don't do woodworking, or I don't have a lathe and do metalworking or anything of the sort, even though I've been interested in, in the craft. 
but mm-hmm. it is extremely therapeutic and relaxing to watch someone do that. I mean, there has to be a reason why these videos um, do so well on YouTube, right? Like, they get millions mm-hmm. of views and it's just a guy, you know, trying to make a cup out of a piece of wood, right? And it, yeah. it's just to, to a very simple music track. I think the main kind of like uniqueness uh, that comes with watching Adam Savage do it is this amazing commentary, uh, this mm. stream of consciousness commentary that goes on as he's doing that, you know, and <laughs> he's trying to educate, he's trying to walk you through the steps, you know, he understands that not everybody watching the channel immediately gets what he's doing. But at the same time, there are these amazing kind of... Um, stories that he has from years and years of just working with amazing people and on amazing projects you know and his his quips and his little uh philosophies that he's he's he either subscribes to or he comes up by himself you know all around like that really kind of shines true as a man who set up a camera in his workshop to make videos and tell stories right and uh yeah. as as an aspire as someone who aspires to tell great stories like it is intensely inspiring uh and intensely helpful uh it's been incredibly helpful you know mm. um throughout the year definitely you know um if you know anything about adam savage from mythbusters uh, you know you know what he's like you know he's energetic yep. and he's exuberant uh, and and kind of the perfect frontman for for a show such as this uh, which could in 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 another person's hands be kind of dry or be kind mm. of technical adam savage is the perfect guy for it because his enthusiasm and his love of pop culture really crosses uh several barriers you know yeah um and and the, the thing about tested it's 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 a bit similar to mythbusters in a sense because it is an intersection of science and popular culture yeah. and technology and engineering uh so he he kind of takes you know viewers behind the scenes of of whether you're crafting something or behind the scenes of uh, your favorite films or TV shows or theaters and museums, you know, things like that. And, and it shines a spotlight on, on the craft mm-hmm. and the craft's people yes. uh, and who make the, the magic we all enjoy, you know. So, you know, wh- whether he's building a, a, a Baby Yoda or Captain <laughs> American Shield, you know, something like that fanciful or genre-centric yep. or whether he's just making something more practical. It's a good look into how engineering and science or a good way to expose people to the engineering principles and scientific principles behind uh, these things uh, and, and, and kind of Trojan horse it in mm-hmm, a way mm-hmm. uh, to, to educate um, a more casual public. Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, like, I, I, I started out watching it just out of interest, you know, and now I follow it just because, like, there are just so many things to learn that are not just, I mean, everything you've mentioned is you, you can learn from that, right? Uh, but there's just so many kind of life lessons and life stories that you you get uh, from watching this, right? Hours and hours of, of people making things and like failing and trying again and learning from their mistakes. And uh, yeah, all in all, like I, in in hindsight, right? Just looking at the amount of time that I've spent watching stuff on Tested, uh, I understand why it is that, you know, uh, on a given Monday, right, tens and thousands of people are just tuning in to watch him assemble, you know, yeah. the Ghostbuster Ecto machine, uh, the uh, Ecto van, right? And it's yeah. because, like, there's something for us there to learn, right? And we are learning from someone who is very acutely human and is aware that he's very acutely human, but still desires to create and do his best at what he does. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's the perfect uh, way to be productive mm -hmm. and not be you know in times of isolation or or in times of uh, struggle, uh, whether it's internal or external or whatever. Yep. Uh, Adam Savage's tested is a good benchmark for how you can turn all of that into something constructive. I mean, literally constructive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so for any of you who are curious to kind of check it out, please go ahead um, to to uh, either tested.com or you can just go, uh, Google Adam Savage just tested and you'll bring it to the YouTube page. There, there's kind of something for everyone if you're interested. Um, you know, they cover technology. Uh, they they occasionally talk about movies and books. Actually, they talk about it. They have their own podcast where they kind of talk about movies and books, uh, yeah, as well, yeah. right? Um, you know, if you're always just wondering like how people just make insane things or like how prop replicas are made, please go check them out. Uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um. Every season, uh, Adam Savage seems to go hard on the expense whenever a new season mm. comes out, and um, the expense comes back in two weeks. So I'm eager to see his new yeah. Season on, I mean, we on can, the expense. Let's go a bit on a tangent. So it's um season six. Uh, uh no, season five is the next one. Season six will be the following and final. Yeah. Season. So the news just came out that there will be final season, and we won't be mm -hmm. seeing um. Cass. The, the the Martian pilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Cass Anva, I think. Mm -hmm. I I'm really curious as to how they're gonna work him out of the story. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably just gonna get killed off. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we haven't had any of that yet, so you know. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, it might add some stakes at the end of season five. Maybe I I I don't know, but you know, I I trust the expense to do a good job with it. Mm, you know? mm. But if, if they don't, you know, I do understand also like, because it's outside circumstances that they couldn't control and it, it forces them to modify a narrative they're in the middle of. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah you know, I'm, I'm going to cut them some slack on this like, if, if they don't do it well. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I Yeah, we'll see. I, I really don't think they, they will stumble too much, you know. Uh, the, the bigger problem is not Cass Anvar. The biggest problem is season six has to cover three books. Yeah, and I don't think that's possible. Yeah. So, I think they might pick an earlier book to end on. Hmm. So they're gonna shoehorn the ending in earlier in the narrative. Uh, yes, perhaps you know, even disregard a a a book. Interesting. Maybe I'm, yeah. It might be possible. I mean, I haven't read all the books, so I wouldn't know exactly how they would do it. But okay, mm -hmm. okay, we'll we'll see, we'll see. I mean, they've done a great job so far. You know, I I don't want them or expect them to fail. Here Definitely, you know, like I, I, I highly doubt it's gonna be a, a Game of Thrones, lah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, let's move on to uh, Dropout TV's Dimension Twenty, uh, which is a Dungeons and Dragons um gameplay series. Yep. Uh, that it's hilarious. Uh, led by an actor named Brandon Lee Mulligan. Uh, it features a lot of professional gamers and comedians on yep. the show as well. Uh, as they go on campaigns in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, I have caught a few episodes from multiple of their campaigns. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm I'm a bit familiar with it. Uh, if you don't know, Dropout TV is a paid streaming service from College Humor, which uh, began streaming Dimension Twenty way back in 2018. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, strangely enough, uh, they're now in. I think the six or seven season, yeah. six season, uh, a, a lot for two years, huh? You no, know, it's it's pretty intense, right? Um, yeah. So to give you guys an idea, Dimension Twenty started out as College Humor's in-house, um, like company D and D, uh, game, right? So that's mm -hmm. how it's kind of started out. And after a while, when everybody got uh kind of the hang of it, 
um, they said, you know, I mean, like, we've got content right here, right? Why don't we film it? So, yep. uh, again, Brennan Lee Mulligan, like, one of the most amazing kind of uh, voice actors and and dungeon, uh, dungeon masters um, that I've seen, you know, that I've met. Um, and uh, just the sheer amount of voice characters that he can do in a single in a single session, not even a campaign, right? It's kind of yeah. mind-blowing, right? So, um, it's been, yeah, it's been two years and they've done multiple uh, campaigns so far. So, Fantasy High, which is the one I think we'll be focusing on. already. The ha- first one, uh, Yeah, the first yeah. one. Um, has already had two seasons. Uh, yeah. Then they've done Unsleeping City, which is one about New York, which I really enjoyed. They did mm-hmm. a small kind of like side quest spin-off story where... They've invited guests like Matthew Mercer, who who's part of uh, a big part of Critical Role, yeah. which is another uh, gameplay channel or gameplay series rather uh, mm-hmm. that has gone on for like I think it's like three campaigns of like several almost a thousand uh, episodes um, mm-hmm. on their yeah. side of things, um, where they basically um, they role play the villains instead of the the heroes, which was in- incredibly fun to watch as well. Um, but yeah, so uh, I haven't really caught the latest two, the ones that started like slightly later this year. Uh, Crown Candy. Yeah, Crown Candy. I think I watched the first episode, and then like mm-hmm. that was pretty much it. Uh, but I think Fantasy High uh, is a very easy way to kind of get into it. Um, so for those, oh, how do I? Is there a need to explain Dungeons and Dragons? I mean, if if you know Dungeons and Dragons, you know it. Like, if you don't, you know of it. Yeah. If you're not interested, you won't be listening. So that don't is, need, like... yeah, that's true. Okay, so yeah. so basically, Fantasy High is Dungeons and Dragons, uh, high school drama, right? Like, you know, um, I mean, Ghost wouldn't be the right movie to kind of compare it to. Yeah, high school. Yeah. drama. That's yeah. high school drama. I think River Riverdale. Uh, you know, but Dungeons and Dragons with you know magic and monsters and all of that. And we basically follow uh, a group of ragtag um, adventurers uh, or wannabe adventurers who are part of a hero school or adventurer school uh, and just kind of the trials and tribulations that they face during the course of their school year. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, it features, you know, a whole lot of uh, people from College Humor. So you've got your Emily Axford who plays Fig. You've got Zach uh, Oyama who plays Gorgug. You know, you've got uh, ooh, uh, who else is there? There's Lou Wilson as well who plays Fabian. And all of these characters are introduced to you in kind of the most innocuous way. Um, mm-hmm. And because these guys are, you know, professional actors and voice actors, you know, they kind of go all in on 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 um, the role playing and things like that. Uh, they are introduced to you in in the first episode, and uh, I think the first time. I, I started watching them maybe uh, while I was in Bali last year in October. That's kind of when I discovered it. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, let's see what this is about. Uh, but the characters really kind of grow on you, right? And uh, at, uh, at some point in time, you forget that this is a game of Dungeons & Dragons. And it turns out mm-hmm. to be an amazing collaborative storytelling session that yeah. is entirely, well... Uh, for the most part, improvised, right? Like, you kind of forget um, the mechanics of it and all of that. Even though, like, someone rolling a natural 20 at a at a crux mm. moment is one of the most, like, exhilarating things that I've seen. Like, yeah. both, like, emotionally and on screen. Um, 
but yeah, so you know, we follow them through their adventures, uh, and all of that. I don't want to kind of like get into the story a bit too much because it's very it becomes very spoilery very early on. Mm-hmm. Um, just the kind of twists and turns that the story takes because, I mean, as it's improvised, yeah, it's improvised. It's yeah. And uh, you know, as as a DM or a GM, like you never <laughs> have any control over what the players are gonna do. And sometimes, uh, no pun intended, you just gotta roll with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh Brennan, um one of one of the best DMs in, in the world, like yep. uh, in my opinion. So uh hilarious and often captivating. Um I guess if you had if anybody had any complaints about this show, it it could be the people who are stickler for D D rules. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, may find the show's reliance on, um, I guess they call it the rule of cool, mm-hmm. um, a bit a bit too haphazard. Uh, but the result is so fun, you know. Who cares, right? Yeah, I think they they realize at the end of the day that they they want to make quality entertainment, right? Because mm-hmm. generally speaking, like D and D has never been played to an audience for the longest time, right? It takes place in your house, around your kitchen table, in your basement, right? Or at least that's the idea that most people have had of what playing D&D is about, right? You get a you get a glimpse of that in Stranger Things mm. when the boys are all kind of like gathered in the basement trying to play D&D. Um, Only with the advent of streaming, it's changed. Yeah, exactly, right? And now with the rise of podcasting as as a, a staple form of consuming, you know, uh, audio material of all sorts, right? Uh, and yeah. now with streaming and with YouTube and, and, and all of that, like the ability to play your character to an audience has, I think, frankly, changed the game. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and um, I think Fantasy High and what they're doing in Dimension 20, it's one of the more easy... It's, it's definitely easier um, to access, right? Accessibility. Uh, it has a greater degree of accessibility than, say, yeah. Critical Role. Because Critical Role can be entertaining, no doubt, but it's a mm-hmm. bit of a deeper dive into what mm. D&D can actually be because it's a bit more traditional that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Dimension 20 has some very interesting settings that uh, are kind of unique in in that respect. So, you know, it's easy to kind of dive into. It's easy to enjoy, right? And, like, it becomes this whole, like, kind of playground for these extremely talented um, actors and, and comedians to just kind of do whatever they want within the boundaries of the world that they've set. Uh, yeah. And again, right, in speaking to to how this, uh, why I've spent so much time on it, it's the same kind of thing, right? We escape, uh, you know, into other worlds, whether it's into a book or into a movie or into games, um, mm-hmm. right? Like this has been another form of escape of, of traveling with um you know, characters that we've made up who we either aspire to be or have always been curious um, to play, you know, into mm-hmm. worlds that are fantastical and out of the ordinary and and um, so different from kind of like the rooms and our, our homes that we have been um, seconded in uh, for a large part of the year. Definitely, you know, I mean, the, the advent of like uh, easy streaming, the democratization of, you know, the internet. Uh, I mean, okay, like, for, for some things it's bad, you know, yep. uh, let's just look at politics these, mm. these days. But for other things, it's really good, you know, uh, especially in times of COVID where people still get to interact and socialize without leaving their house, yep. you know. Um, you know, everything like from, from the genres that have cropped up, you know, there's a lot of gameplay videos, of course, like from video games to board games yeah. that are on Twitch and many other platforms, 
or, or reaction videos to TV shows and films. It's like being in a room with your friends, mm -hmm. watching a show or playing a game. Uh, and Dimension 20 is really fun to watch because it's clear how much the producers and cast <laughs> love, love to make the show yeah. and, and how dedicated they are to, to their audience, you know. Um, it's it's just you know as dropout twenty uh, dropout uh, TV likes to say like it's it's produced with love right it's it's the attack like mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I really feel that you know um, fantasy high is really really fun uh, <laughs> the one that I'm watching right now that really captured me is is the unsleeping city oh my god uh, yeah. which is which is set in New York primarily because it is set in New York it's it's such a different um, setting yeah. uh, for for Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons and because Brennan I think he lives in New York and he, you can clearly see that he knows and loves New York yeah. uh, and from the way he narrates the story uh, it feels very lived in and and you know all the shared anecdotes are, are, are unique because yeah. of that you know so, uh, very cool man. yeah so the story behind that is that uh, I think for Unsleeping City 80% uh, yeah. of the guys at the table used to live in New York at one point yeah. in time in their lives right so they're extremely familiar with the place a uh, big shout out as well to the guys who designed this. Uh, there are a couple of guys that they mentioned. I can't remember their names. Uh, forgive me, but um, who designed the sets and the the mini figurines mm -hmm. uh, that they use uh, to to play? Because that is so much. That's a huge part of the entertainment value and the production value that uh, we get from Fantasy High. Because not all the D and D guys do that, right? Because it it it's a lot of work, you know. Um, just the way in which like they craft this insane like multi-level um, play areas for everyone, and everybody's got their own figurine. You know, all the enemies have their own figurine and stuff like that. It's just like huge props to the guys who do that. Uh, it's kind of amazing and really does add to ex the overall experience uh, as someone who's watching the game because it's not just people sitting sitting around the table talking about it there's actually a, a visual element to it that is extremely compelling as well. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, Critical Role is also a D&D gameplay series, which I've not seen, you know. Yeah. Well, what, what is that like? Um, so Critical Role uh, essentially uh, is, is run by Matthew Mercer and gang. If you've watched the uh, Dimension 20 side quest, the one Escape from Bloodkeep, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so Matthew Mercer is the, the guy in charge of Critical Role. Um, and right. he's also the guy who's been doing like this one-off charity um, Dungeons and Dragons campaigns with... Uh, he, I think he did it with Terry Crews, mm. uh, Vin Diesel. Uh, I think they did it with uh, a, a couple of other people as well, right? Where it was just literally, you know... Uh, you people who uh, celebrities who have been playing Dungeons and Dragons or um, you know, are totally kind of new to the game that have been interested in it. Uh, Critical Role is oh, I can't keep track. I'm actually several seasons behind. Oh wow! Uh, okay. At this point in time, and every season is like a fair number of episodes. I think it's anywhere from like thirty to forty episodes. Very long. Yeah, very very long forever. campaigns. Um, yeah, I think part of the thing that that uh, interested me in Dimension Twenty is because it it doesn't have that kind of a commitment. Yeah. that you need to yeah. put into it. I think in some of the in some of the interviews or behind the scenes, um, Brennan really does talk about the fact that there it's different for them because there's a strict time limit for every session that they have. Right, they have to keep it two hours or thereabouts. You know, or you or else you're going to lose your audience, and it's extremely tiring in terms of the amount of prep that he needs to do, mm -hmm. right? And of course, the constraints of, of um, being on a filming schedule in the midst of all the other stuff that they're doing in College Humor. 
yeah. kind of makes it difficult. So the format in which um, Dimension 20 stuff takes place really does help, right? Like you jump in, it's your first hour, you get invested. And from then on, every episode is going to be like an hour and a half or two hours, you know, uh, and it always proceeds apace, um, which is kind of amazing, right? Given that it's all improvised, you always need to reach a point whereby people want to watch the next episode and they always magically manage to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's quite crazy because um, they don't edit out that much from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's great because it's it brings as much heart as it does humor. Mm-hmm. And, and the stories are always, as you say, compelling and, and very fast-paced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because of the tight arcs, right, the, the series showcases a lot of character and, and world-building yeah. while bringing, I guess, new voices to the live play community, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I think this 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 is one of like my favorite D&D gameplay shows uh, that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. for sure. I mean, I, I always come back to this. And I, yeah. I mean, I've been... Uh, there's maybe we'll do an episode where we kind of talk about like you know all the guys who are kind of like doing great stuff in the world of D&D um, mm. streaming um, and and maybe one of these days we'll dive into that but I want to recommend Dimension 20 as a very easy way to get into it it's okay if you're listening to this and you have absolutely no idea what Dungeons & Dragons is about or how it's played because there are mm. people at the table especially for Fantasy High who have absolutely no idea like it is mm. their first campaign, right? So they've always been interested, and now they've kind of committed to something like that. And you get to see them grow, not just as player characters, but you get to see them grow as you know, like D and D players as well, right? And the interesting, like fascinating choices that they make because they're unfamiliar with what the rules are supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, and and like just the way that Brandon has to kind of respond to that is is all types of amazing, and it happens more often than you think. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, highly recommend Dimension 20 and what they're doing. Uh, if you enjoy the stuff that they have on YouTube, uh, which comes out, I think, two to three weeks after it comes out on Dropout.tv. Um, yes. You know. uh, by the way, Dropout.tv is not a very high subscription cost. I think it's like $7 or something like that a month. Uh, mm-hmm. And the ability to kind of watch the, it as it comes out, if you've caught up, it really, really helps. That's one. Number two, is they also do stream on Twitch. Uh, every once in a while, they uh, will have live streams. So they have a Fantasy High Live, which is like a different season altogether um, that they're, they're, they've been playing. So that nice. one doesn't have as complex of a, a, a setup, a set setup um, as the rest of them. But like you can see entirely the dice rolling and all of that going on. You know, if you're curious about how a real Dungeons and Dragons game will work out, that's not necessarily, you know, f- uh, fully produced. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's live, yeah, right? Yeah. You have to be a bit more flexible. But yeah. yeah, I mean, great stuff. You know, uh, do follow uh, Dimension Twenty on Dropout.tv or College Humor or their YouTube channel, mm-hmm. which is you know they they air episodes at a delayed pace, but still worth the effort. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you can't afford. To subscribe to dropout.tv go watch it on youtube you know, yep. it's, it's right there for free mm-hmm. uh and if you can you know support dropout because like, you know like you said the subscriber base is a bit low yeah uh but you know it's great because you know i, I noticed that there are no ads involved nope. you know no, nothing shady you know it's just a great fun streaming service uh, yeah yeah i mean like uh it yeah everything that college humor does is up there right if any of those have tickled your fancy 
whether you've come across them on your Facebook uh, feed or on YouTube, you know, um, please go check that out. I mean, there's so much good stuff there. Um, mm-hmm. But largely, I mean, I've just spent a lot of time watching Dimension 20 stuff, including that, the interviews, uh, which mm-hmm. is fascinating, the post-show talks, where uh, it's kind of crazy, right? Like, we've always seen only the big TV series get their post-show talks, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether whether we're talking about Stranger Things, whether we're talking about um, Walking Dead, Walking Dead and, and all of that. But it's yeah. so fascinating to be able to see that happen for a g- gameplay um, series like this, right? Where they can mm-hmm. tell you, the players themselves can tell you exactly what it is they were thinking at a given point in time and explain their rationale as they build their character on the fly, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, to me, is kind of the height of improvisation. Um, it's, it's insane, right? How good they are at that and how effortless they make it seem. You know. Yes, yeah. Um, I mean, one part that I mentioned 20 that attracted me is it felt very similar to pro wrestling to me. Mm, yeah, yeah. In, 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 in a lot of ways, you know, um, pro wrestling itself, you know, has the behind the scenes interviews and stuff like that about the people behind the characters, why they made the improv decisions they did at the time, mm-hmm. whether they're responding to a crowd mm-hmm. or they're just playing off the other character. Like, this is pro wrestling for nerds, I guess. Damn right, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yes, uh, the second thing um, of the year that I'm going to recommend that I've spent a ton of time um, just kind of escaping to is, well, Dimension 20s, Fantasy High, and all the other related stuff. Do check them yeah. out. Uh, again, you um, you can catch Fantasy High's Season 1 and 2 on YouTube already. Uh, the small side quest where, they, where their guests play villains is called Escape from Bloodkeep. That's also up. I believe most of Unsleeping City is also up. I think it is. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I would suggest if if you're new to all this, please jump into to Fantasy High. Um, and if you're short of time, you know, you can always do uh, Escape from Bloodkeep. They have slightly more experienced players there. Um, in fact, almost everybody at the table from for Escape from Bloodkeep is a dungeon master in their own right, uh, on mm-hmm. their own channels as well. Um, so that's going to be kind of fascinating for people who are a bit more into the whole thing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If, uh, if you're looking for an interesting kind of a, a different medium of fantasy story, I think this would be for you. Yeah, uh, and as we've mentioned, uh, Adam Savage is tested also on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bex's, uh channel, uh, just type in tested and you'll find it. Yep. Um, Small X available on BBC One, or if you're overseas, you can buy, uh, you can get it on BBC iPlayer mm-hmm. or Amazon Prime, which I think is available in most territories. Yeah. Uh, I May Destroy You is available on HBO, HBO Go, HBO Max, all the various HBO streaming services, of which there are too many of, <laughs> uh, alongside BBC iPlayer as well, because keep in mind it is a BBC show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so th- those are our favorite uh, serialized. Um, Things of, of the year, uh, <laughs> or screen, screen series of the year, yeah. things that you can watch. Uh, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to talk about, uh, I guess, our favorite films of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have picked mine out. Uh, and I am struggling. I, I am struggling. And, and for Isa, I've made it a bit broader. He can pick not just films, but anything he wants, yeah. like from books to 
albums to uh, artwork or whatever lah. like literally is is open for you to to select anything that you want yeah so I, or or even returning animes you know if you wanted to also yeah so i i will be yeah i haven't made my choice yet it's a bit tough uh, i'm not as disciplined as hits when it comes to <laughs> making lists like that um yeah but i i guess you guys will find out when you tune in definitely man uh till next time this has been hit zero i'm isa uh, and remember to catch out our latest episode of Genre Equality, which is out right now mm-hmm. on the Genre Equality channel. Uh, goodbye, guys. Ciao.